Warning, this podcast must be listened to while drinking coffee or beer. Do not drive and drink coffee or beer. Do not smoke and drink coffee or beer. And do not have sex while driving and smoking and drinking coffee or beer. You're listening to the Coffee or Beer Podcast, brought to you on behalf of Hope. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee or Beer. Uh, <laughs> I hope you're well. Hope everyone's alive and kicking out there. My guest today, super glad he's on the show. Very lucky to have him on, Mr. Neil Kennedy. How's it going, sir? I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. With that big, effusive entrance, I, I sort of panicked and almost did like a yo kind of entrance. <laughs> um, but I'm glad I didn't do that. And then I did it anyway. So, you know. If this was, if we were actually like face to face physical and stuff, you could have done that. We would have done a big high five and, and yeah, it would have been worked. It would have been more, yeah, more explosions and stuff. More explosions, exactly. Um, folks, uh, Neil is a producer and is the owner and manager of the Ranch Production Studios down in Southampton. And that background is the big room, the big room. And that's part of what it looks like. It's a great magical place. And we'll come on to that in a minute. But first of all, drink of choice, I think. What have you gone for, Neil? Um, I've actually gone for a cup of tea and I've almost finished it, which is bad news because... <laughs> You're in time for another one. Well, yeah. I've got a freshly brewed coffee here. Nice, nice. It's the first coffee I've had on coffee or beer since the lockdown. So every other so oh, I'm okay. trying to wean off, the, wean off the alcohol. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you too. Two red mugs. So. <laughs> so I'm going to kick it off with a well, straight out of the bat All right. question for you here. <clears throat> okay. okay. You wake up tomorrow. Uh-huh. Everything's gone. Sounds good. Zero zero funds in the account. Oh. Oh. Zero zero production studio. Okay. No, no nothing. And you have so to what start you, what you're saying from scratch. It's December 2020. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, that's all I say. It's December 2020. You wake up ah, colder than usual. You're like, yeah. is the heating on? No, it's not on. Um, not a lot of times. You've got to start from scratch all over again. Okay. Um, so, the, first of all, then, what do you do? Do you are, are you staying in music? Uh, changing um, your life altogether. So, starting from scratch. So, I mean, let's just say hypothetically that my partner was doing okay with money. <laughs> uh, I'd probably take a take a week to kind of gather my thoughts um chill out maybe a little bit it's gonna be quite a stressful thing so but once I got myself sorted out what would I do starting from scratch would I stay with music Mm, that's a really tough one um I would I would yes is the answer I would stay with music but I would maybe focus on one aspect rather than I kind of entered music like doing trying to do everything like I thought I was some kind of renaissance man um and I'm definitely not a renaissance man so I'd maybe focus on yeah like production stuff engineering that kind of stuff and um yeah I suppose if I'm building up my client base again from scratch I'd be get plenty of time to practice my mixing and uh yeah <laughs> so practicing mixing is actually you have to practice how to mix is what you're basically saying are you are you self-taught or did you go did you take a course to learn how I, to i am self-taught yeah um so my uh, my entrance to doing all this when i was a kid my, my dad was like a 
he was like a wannabe guitarist when he was in his 20s but he had you know responsibilities so um he didn't really pick it up so when I expressed an interest in that I was always into music uh, he basically bought me a cool like a you know one of those Argos encore guitars or whatever and I learned on that mm. and he was really he was really supportive and really into the fact that I wanted to play guitar so when I started writing my own songs which I did when I was about 11 and you can imagine exactly how shit they were he um you know this is this is going to age me now but obviously I couldn't record on a computer because because that that didn't exist then <laughs> um, or, or if it did it was you know like very very rudimentary so mm. i got i think it's a tascam or a yamaha four track tape recorder and like you know a cassette cassette recorder and started putting down my stuff so i got really into it that way and then when eventually we did get a computer um i remember getting magic's music maker i started making drum and bass on magic's music maker Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd steal the samples from an Encarta 95 uh, CD-ROM and chop it up and make beats with it and stuff like that. And I got really into doing that. So I did learn an awful lot then. And then um, I, I sort of focused on trying to be a musician, but I always kind of kept going back to like trying to record stuff, trying to make stuff. And eventually ended up with a reasonable PC that could run Cubase and taught myself everything that I know up to point then I started trying to get people to work with me and I sort of my experience of production, the wider sphere of production, opened up how, exactly how bad I was at it, uh, at mixing and all that kind of stuff and how much I still had to learn. And, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that, that, that kind of puts themselves forward as a, I know everything, blah, blah, blah. I, I still feel like I'm learning. I still feel like um, there's stuff to, for me to discover and understand better and, and refine and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I definitely would say mixing is something uh, that I practice, but I, I think probably everyone does. It's not, a, I don't practice as in like a, you practice playing football. Like I don't go out and I don't set myself tasks like you would run around, run through uh, cones and all that kind of stuff. But I'll mm. take a song from scratch, even if I know it inside out and do it again and just see what happens this time and do it again, maybe bearing this in mind or do it again, starting from the guitars this time rather than the drums or the vocals. So that that's what I mean by practicing. But yeah, I, I've, I've said before my uh, many times, like um, I'm really, I had real like kind of anxiety about my mixing. And I think that's a really common theme. I think a lot of people have that kind of thing i guess it's a bit like you're singing or something like that like you're like shit people are going to listen to this now Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so do you think that there's like almost too much choice as in like there's there's like analysis by paralysis oh god yeah and i'm I'm the worst for it as well um so for example if if we're still guineas mixing is the kind of thing Mm. there's like a a million different plugins you could get for an eq a compressor a reverb blah 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 um and i as soon as something new comes out even though i know it's not going to be the thing that fixes my anxieties and makes me a better per, better mix or anything even though i know that that there's no magic bullet i'll mm. buy it i'll buy it because i think it's going to be useful and I've, as a result you know i've got so many fucking plugins on my <laughs> system that i get option paralysis all the time like oh i need to add some top end to those guitars, go to my EQ section. I'm like, oh no, there's so many, <laughs> which, which one's, which one's going to make it work, you know? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if there is too many, but for a sucker like me, um, I, I make it hard myself. Yeah. 
I um, I think that must be so common. I mean, it's definitely I, I get like that with um, with my work. You know, it's just like the 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 options that are open and available to you on these advertising platforms is sometimes just so you know so overwhelming. I'm just like yeah. I just don't know where to start or what to do. Yeah. Sometimes it's like oh, and I yeah, I I think that that's a big problem. And so this is a really interesting point because you mentioned about the fact that when you started, the computers weren't really around oh, they, they, let, me, let me i'm not that old they weren't around but, they the were, idea, but the idea of having like you know logic pro x and pro tools and stuff like that like there was no chance you'd have that in your home yeah yeah exactly that's what i mean it's like as yeah. i remember when the internet showed up at school at primary school and i remember the day really 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 clearly but what um but the point i'm getting to is, is we've like grown with the technology so in our, in our lifetime, we have gone from understanding what the world was kind of like and all about pre-internet. Mm. Um, and there are obviously there are, there are generations that are alive today that uh, only know the world with the internet and their yeah. whole thing is going to be a completely different point of reference, which is a bit mental. But my point about my point I'm getting to is that we've grown with the technology. So therefore, you know, you started off with what was available to you at the time, literally an A track bumped up onto a onto the uh, the the very simplest kind of like recording device on a computer and then watched as these other technologies, these other um, softwares have come in and been introduced. So you would have learned how like in the beginning, well, the only options I've got are to record it this way with these yeah. three knobs here. So I have a very clear and understanding, fundamental understanding of what these three knobs do and then watch it as it just like grows yeah. and grows on itself, right? So you've got like one of the one of the edges, which is like the fundamental understanding of like, just where to start yeah i mean yeah there's there's other people like that that uh, have had even more experience so i guess growing up going in studios where they use tape and uh you know inline consoles or whatever i mean i have that experience but if someone said hey can you just spool up this tape machine for me so we can get going i'd be like no <laughs> hang <laughs> on watch that? let me google it yeah, exactly. Let me Google it. Did you watch that um, that documentary uh, Dave Grohl did about Sound City? I did. Yeah, I got a bit of a hot take on it. If I'm honest, what's that? I think he's a bit of an arsehole. Grohl. Yeah, I, I I have a sneaking suspicion that he's a secret arsehole. Like uh, like Michael Jordan. Oh, I haven't watched that. Yeah, I need to watch it. Yeah, because <laughs> he is elite. Like Grohl is elite. He's like you know, an incredible drummer, an incredible songwriter, an incredible singer. Like, he's so good at everything. Mm. There's no way he's all so well-balanced. I just can't yeah. see that being a reality. My friends met him and said he was the nicest man ever, which makes me even more suspicious. Like, mm. I don't know. But watching Sound City, so again, aging myself, I was aware of that studio from a young age because so many records that came out when I was a kid Radiance Machine's first record, uh, Weezer Blue, all those kind of records are done there. And so it has this kind of like, this Legacy. sort of mythical kind of like connotations to me. I don't mm. think I ever saw what it looked like. And when you actually see the pictures, it's like got purple carpet on the walls and stuff like, oh mate, it's a shithole. Like. Yeah. Um, but the, that kind of like eroticizing that desk and, mm. and kind of like making Sound City this kind of like mythical, special like place. 
I thought he was going to save it. I didn't think he was just going to get the desk on a cheap deal off his mate and like leave it. Like, yeah, leave it. But that's not the house. ending. He just fucking got that. He's now Grohl's got that. No, no one else is ever going to use that desk. You know? um, and also for me, the second half when he's making the record in there, some of the worst shit I've ever heard in my life. The Paul McCartney one, the the Stevie Nicks one. They're dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Um, yeah, the um... awful. It's not a great album. Uh, I don't know why it's like that. taking the piss out of Trent Reznor when Trent Reznor turns up and he's using like Amplitude or something for a guitar, Amplitude for a guitar, whatever. They're like, oh, Trent, you with your toys kind of thing. Like, come on, man. Trent Reznor's a genuine visionary. Like, don't do not do that. Like, Yeah, yeah. I think I was just like telling myself it was good because I, I, I believe I had to think it was good. because I think it is good. And there's just, a, I, I, I think I was just a little bit sensitive when Trent Reznor got a little bit of beef on it um because he is my he's like one of my absolute heroes even though he's probably a complete dick as well yeah um <laughs> I can't imagine I don't know I don't know about Trent Reznor other than he makes good, great music but I can't imagine that he is he doesn't strike me as someone that's going to be fun all the time no he strikes me as he's going to be a bit of an arsehole yeah absolutely well very good well steering a little bit away from arseholes um <laughs> the the I get a lot of uh, advertisements come up on uh, on my YouTube on Facebook and stuff like that for all of this different sort of audio software, right? Audio plugins, and there and literally the ad is like, I was I was writing shit until I had this software. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If I had this software when I was twenty years ago, I'd be a billionaire today, and all this stuff. And I'm like, what? The, I, obviously, they're peddling the software to sell. That's fine, but I mean. The way things are going, do you think it's literally going to be a case where the technology is so good that literally anyone can just push a button and like the computer will write the songs itself? Uh, yeah, I can totally see that. Um, like algorithmic software is going to keep improving. So in theory, you, you, I don't know if you've heard of stuff like Lambda. I heard, I, heard it, I heard you mention it in previous podcasts, but I'm not too familiar with exactly what it is. So basically, it's like an algorithm that masters your music for you. So it kind of analyzes the data it gets. Obviously, music is data to that algorithm. Does some maths, figures out how to get it to a good volume, figures out what areas are maybe deficient EQ-wise, boosts them, where there's resonances, cuts them. You know, it basically does that job. So in theory, like, I don't really have, I don't have beef with that as a concept. I, I like the idea of someone's ears and... Uh, and and someone's kind of like interpretation of something is feels more artistic to me. Mm-hmm. But I don't really have a problem with with that. But I can definitely see that area of technology improving, um, and I can definitely see things like um, pattern recognition software being used for like chord sequences and melodies and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think we're very far away from it at all. I wouldn't be surprised if we already have a couple of songs that are largely based on. There's, there's, I'm pretty sure there's a plugin which basically is like a riff generator. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, like someone here, you can also, you have been out in Logic for a long time, you can basically go into MIDI, mm. go MIDI transform and basically randomize. So I um, wouldn't be surprised if someone randomized and got a baseline or randomized and got a melody. So you only have to listen to um, some of the more maybe like, less artistic EDM tracks or, you know, electronic tracks to realise that there's maybe not a whole lot of musicianship involved 
Mm. Um, you quite often hear things like key clashes and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't think we're far away from it at all. I How much is Lambda? I, I think, it, I, I don't know, mate. I don't think it's very expensive. Like you're looking at, for, for a good human to, um, good set of human ears, you're looking at like what? A, a start price around £50 a track. Um, but you can go up to thousands of pounds a track if you want to use Sterling Sound, you know, Bob Ludwig or something like that. So mm. I've just Googled Lander quickly here. Uh, pricing. It look, I mean, it's it's 48 quid. Oh, no, it's, that's a year. Oh, right. Wow. Oh, right. Okay, so WAV file, you can, it's like eight ninety nine for a song. So, you know, if you just want to bust it, I'm pretty sure someone I know a really, really good musician actually used Lander for, for their record, just popped up and it was like, this sounds fine. Wow. Yeah. They could literally just record it in their house. Yeah. Plug it and then master it through Lander and it will come out. I've never, in fact, you know what, I might just stick a track up on it later on and just see what happens, just because I've never done it before. I mean, I've certainly had masters come back from humans that have sounded shit, so mm. um, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, computer was actually pretty consistent. This, so, is a, yeah. this is an interesting one just quickly as well on, on the whole mixing mastering thing because it's something that eluded me for a long time and I feel like I understand it but I, for those of people that don't really get like the magic that happens sure. from the okay, mastering so, so, <laughs> so the magic of mastering so it is a little bit of one of those black art kind of things like mm. and I think it's because if you're you know what a recording engineer does. They set the mics up and hit record and all that kind of stuff. You understand loosely that a producer might be more involved in the song craft and the structures and arrangements and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and maybe the vision of how it's going to sound. And then the mixer takes that vision and sort of explodes it into the, the best possible version of it. You might find someone that does all of those jobs. It's not uncommon for someone to be like a one-stop shop, but it's also not uncommon for them to be completely separate. Mm -hmm. The mastering engineer is essentially the final stage. So the final stage would be instead of looking at a track in terms of 60 channels of audio uh, or even, you know, 16 channels, but they're looking at stereo file nine right. times out of 10. Um, and from that stereo file, you'd be, I'm often amazed at what can happen even using just a stereo file. They might look at it in terms of the, the stereo or they might look at it in terms of the middle of the image and the sides of the image right and if once you start breaking down your file into that you can affect things in the middle without changing stuff in the side so if you want to make your vocal more forward even in a stereo file you can you can basically go into the middle image find the area the voice lives in in terms of equalization and bring it out a little bit obviously it's going to affect other stuff but anyway so what they normally do what, what the concept is, is you're looking at a way of almost homogenizing it to, to other audio that's out there at the moment, contemporary to that track. So if you've made an EDM track and you're going to need to check out, I mean, I don't know much about EDM, but I don't know, like a Diplo track and be like, mm -hmm. okay, so that is this loud mm -hmm. and it's bright and it's got this much bass content. So a mastering engineer is going to be like, I need to make sure that I kind of follow that guideline and, and get the track to similar thing. So, mm -hmm. What work they have to do is dependent on what material they get. So if you if it's a really shoddy mix, a, a mastering engineer might have like a, a lot of work to do in order to get somewhere. If it's a brilliant mix, they might have to do nothing. That that's kind of 
Right. It's not like I, I don't think they keep it secret what they do. I think if you go and googling, if you go and googling, if you Google what is mastering, you're going to find out most of it. Most of the techniques, it's it's nothing that special. Um, but it can it can make a really big difference. Some people completely disagree. Um, Andrew Sheps, who's an amazing producer and mixer, so he's done stuff like Beyonce and Metallica and like elite level stars. Sure. He says he wants the mastering engineer to do nothing. He doesn't want him to touch it, essentially. He knows that it's a part of the game and it's going to go to a mastering engineer. Right. But he wants to give them nothing to work with. So Just wants, a free check. He wants his vision to be what people hear, not in, like literally untouched by someone. That, that, that's his approach. So ultimately, like a marketing engineer might still be like, well, okay, but on this Beyonce record, there's 16 tracks and they're all quite different. So my job here is to try and make them feel cohesive. So even though Sheps is saying, I want you to do as little as possible, there's still a job to do because you can't just put those songs out because they might be, one might be really loud, one might be a bit quieter because it's a ballad, but you need to find a way to make it cohesive. Yeah. Right, right. Excellent hope, answer. I hope that helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does massively. Um, you said at the beginning that you tried to do everything yourself at first. So were you the one-stop shop? Yeah, I still, I still am uh, quite a lot of the time. So I work with, most of the time I work with an engineer. Um, so I'll have someone that, so if I can, if I do need to step out of it and not be in front of the monitors all the time, there's someone there to, to work with. Mm. I find that is the bit that, I, that helps me the most. Then um, quite often... The kind of artists I work with, their budgets don't allow for it to go to another mixer. Um, but we can normally find budget for mastering because that's one thing I just, I don't like doing mastering. Yeah. Don't that's like not your it. thing. If it's something I haven't worked on, I'm happy to, to try. Mm -hmm. But if I've worked on it, I don't want to master it. So my next door neighbor is Lewis Johns, who is really, really good at mastering. So that's quite handy. <laughs> <laughs> Quite often be like, Lewis, come and do this for me, bro. Can you do this for me, please. <laughs> um, so that's yeah. his thing. He's 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 going into the mastering world. Yeah, he's. I think if I remember rightly, when I first met him, that was actually the the area he wanted to kind of push himself in. Um, if I remember his first email address, it was like audio arts mastering or something like that. So mm. he's always been much more interested in that. When I I'm just not really interested in it at all. I'll do it. I'll do like a, a ref master, like a reference for someone else to check. But mm. I don't really like my own masters being the thing that gets released. Not very often. Although I have had an experience before where bands have used mastering engineers that were a bit whack and I've been like, nah, I can do better than that. You know, if you can't afford someone else, like, let me do it. Like, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. What area do you, do you want to go into? Or do you, do you... I would love to be a mixer, but... I think I'm prob production is probably my my strongest field. Like being at, sort of being able to listen to something and try and imagine how to take it in different places. I think I think that's the area that I probably am strongest in. As much as I would love to think of myself as someone that could be Andrew Sheps or you know Mark, Mark, um, Spike Stent or something like that. Like realistically, um, I think my, my strengths lay with production. I fucking love mixing. If it's, yeah. I do love it, but it's like I've already said, it's the thing that kind of stresses me out the most. Because yeah, um, yeah, because it's so it's so subjective. It's it's impossible to 
you know, I, I might listen to a Paramore track and be like, that is amazing. I want to make my mix sound like that. And I can't because I'm not the person, A, it's not the same recording, and B, I'm not the person that mixed it. I'm not mm. Ken Andrews or something like that. I'm, it's my vision of it. So mm-hmm. someone else might think that mine sounds better. I don't think they will, <laughs> but someone might, you know. So there's all that interpretation. And I suppose uh, the, the basically the role of the producer is always going to be necessary and, and important, right? That's yeah, something that you can't like. You can't give that over to a to a computer. Yeah, I think so. so I mean, there's so many artists that don't need a producer. That there's, I mean, anecdotally, there's so many stories of people that have worked with the producers and it's gone wrong and they've done it themselves and it's right. And I, that is cool. But there's other artists that really benefit from having a producer. There's loads of artists that really benefit from having a producer, even if it's just someone to say like, "Nah, don't do that." yeah or or like why don't we try changing this chord in this section for this bit like just an outside opinion um whereas i mean like the 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 one that's pops in my straight away is billy eilish and her her it's her brother phineas isn't it yeah so yeah. the idea that they done that between the two of them i don't think they need to go and work with you know bob rock uh, for the next record. <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah. personally, quite like to hear that. Yeah. Uh, I've got this idea about uh, uh, bringing in some sort of dustbins, Billy. I don't know. I've got, got a lot of them. i got yeah. a lot of them out back. Uh, I've got my mate Lars popping in today. <laughs> yeah, he'll show you how to hit a dustbin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And I love those, those kind of things because... Um, some people are lone wolves and some bands are effectively lone wolves. And like you say, they don't need yeah. anybody else. Others are like, I want all the help. I want a team around me. I want, yeah. I want, uh, I want this to be like a big project with a lot of people involved. And what's, what's kind of a, a producer's role with the rest of the industry? Like what role do they, do they have like any um, bearing or, or influence over like the manager and the, you I mean, know, the label or anything like that? I can only speak from my experience. And- yeah, of course. Often I feel margin. Well, if I'm working on a like let's call it a high ticket client or someone that's got a, a structure around them of manager or label, or whatever, quite often I end up feeling marginalised. Um, yeah, that's the end of that statement. Um, <laughs> I imagine if you are Bob Rock or Rick Rubin or like a you know like one of those legendary kind of people your opinion is taken much more seriously and you're included in because you have cachet so while mm-hmm. I have no cachet at that level of the industry like at a lower level in the in the underground industry the more DIY kind of stuff I think people would listen to a producer um, but quite often I'll have conversations with like people that work in maybe A&R or management and it might be one of those like have you heard anything good lately? Anything worth checking out? That kind of thing. Mm. Um, I think like on occasion, if I've really felt strongly about a project, I've reached out to people that I know at, at the kind of bigger labels or and been like, this is worth keeping your eye on. Um, but I don't often quite like how everything works up there. So, mm. which I've probably said before numerous times, said on that will listen. What do you think is one of the biggest problems about it? What are the things you don't like? It's just a bit, it's a bit like society on a whole, really. It's a bit like the the Dominic Cummings thing, like or mm. the Tory party thing. Like the, once you're in those positions, you, you kind you of abuse exploit, them. Yeah, you kind of exploit it a little bit. I'm not saying that people that work for record labels are all like Tory bastards, but um, oh, I didn't. Yeah, you know, just say that. 
um, it's that kind of thing. Like I've said it on a podcast before, it, it unsettles me that. Um, so if we look at lockdown as a as a scenario, I don't know about you, but one of the first things I did when suddenly I had time on my hands was return to the arts, watch movies, listen mm-hmm. to music, read books, etc., etc., etc. So that kind of says to me that the arts have real intrinsic value to society. That at the first opportunity, that's what I turn to, and that and many people I know are the same. Yep. So why is it that let's just think of an artist that signed to a record label why is it they can't pay their rent or even greater why can't they look at even buying a house Mm -hmm. because the money doesn't come until they've written a record and then all the money that's spent on their record has to be recouped before they can get another paycheck yeah is that you know if you're a successful artist it's just it's a non-dilemma because there's a big chunk of money and you'll get another big chunk of money but if you're working in marketing or, or um, press or whatever like that for one of those labels, exploiting the asset that you've got as a record label, you're going to be able to afford your mortgage or your rent. You're going to be able to book a holiday. Mm-hmm. But the artists that create it, they can't. Like, a lot of the time, they can't. If you're royal blood, I'm sure you can just fuck off at the drop mm-hmm. of a hat. But if you're, I don't know, pick, pick a band, Milk Teeth or something like that, who are on the same label as, or were on, I don't know what label Raw Blood are on now, but I think they were on the same label as them. Mm. They don't sell as many units, mm. Raw Blood. But I just think, like, if you're going to put your, if you're going to try and exploit the asset that an artist has created, then they need to be able to live while they're making that art. Not, not just, not just be like, if you do well, you're going to get a big paycheck. They should be able to live. It should they should just get a a, a wage? Mm. You know. I suppose two points. I suppose one thing is that well, Milk Teeth just haven't written a good enough, as good a, as good a song sure. as Royal Blood yet. Maybe exactly. there's yeah. I'm not. I mean, it is a meritocracy. Like in yeah. theory, it's a meritocracy. Uh, but I think when you're a multi-billion-dollar company, mm. you can afford to support artists more than you are doing. If you if you can pay profits, if you sorry, if you get enough profits to pay multi-million dollar um dividends mm. you can afford to support the artists that you that that helped you build the company to where it is right now it wasn't just the guys in the suit that got the company to where it is it was the exploitation of the artists that that they used to get there and i'm sure like when you're like royal blood i'm sure do not want for a fiver i'm sure they can pay the rent and as they should be able to because mm. they've written some fucking incredible music and they've performed yeah. it incredibly like I, this isn't to take away from successful artists this is just to say i don't see why an industry that like say milk teeth they were probably signed along thinking along the lines of they might write a song as good as out of the dark that we can exploit and make millions of mm. so i don't see the problem in just making sure they can live comfortably while they try Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. You know, if yes. you, like I say that multi-million dividend, if you took one percent away from that, three or four artists could help, could could live comfortably. And who knows what kind of art they could create if they weren't freaking out about being able to pay their rent or feed themselves. Or mm. it's just is it, is it is it is it because as well? Well, there's just there's just too many bands. 
there's too many to pay. <laughs> Basically, there's too many to give them a, a working wage. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you, you know, you're not, you're not wrong there. I'm not saying every every band deserves like a. Obviously, uh, the ones that are, I'm talking about the ones that are actually signed to said label. But even then, you know, a lot of labels' rosters are very big, and if they're paying a uh, hundred different acts to, yeah, if they're paying a hundred different acts, that's going to be what four hundred people, five hundred people. Yeah, honestly, I don't think. A label like Sony or Warner could afford to pay minimum, not like a living wage, to five hundred extra people. But then there would be an argument about like where do those people live? And like obviously the ones that live in London need to get paid more to survive up there, but versus other places, and then it just Decent- becomes a big decentralised music industry. Then, huh? Decentralised music industry, decentralise everything. Like it, the idea that it, like London should be treated differently because it's London. This it's London's fucking fault. It's no one else's fault. Like yeah, yeah. Like don't don't let land landowners exploit people like just that that's a simple way of doing it yeah sure. don't, don't let them price gouge when it comes to property mm-hmm. but i mean this is you're getting me riled up now this is getting into other other areas the simple answer is universal basic income for everybody and then we don't have to have this debate like mm. at, at a bigger political level that would literally fix everything but you know but then, uh, then everyone would want to be uh, in a band, and then there'd be like there'd be way too much. Uh... No, they wouldn't. It wouldn't work like that. It wouldn't work like that. No. Some people are going to want a beamer on their on their front car park, and they're not going to get it from being in a band. So they'll, you know, so it, it, it does. I don't believe it will work like that. I think if it came in, you'd find people that wanted to spend their time on their art, and who knows what amazing art could be created, what amazing films and books could be written, and paintings mm. could. Painted and all that kind of stuff, and they might be perfectly happy having a bike rather than a car, like a beam or something. So, I mean, this this is a ma- a massive topic. It's impossible to boil it down into like a a, a little soundbite. But I I, I yeah. personally think if you did something like that, we'd we'd see the art, we'd see a real renaissance in the arts. This lockdown has been um, proof that uh, some of the some of the creativity that's come out of this lockdown from from bands artists has been awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the kind of like problem solving of some artists has been ridiculous, and I yeah, I think something like this just shows exactly how much our our, our society values art, and mm. and and by art I mean it, I mean anything in the creative arts, um, and I just think it should be there should be a fairer deal. That sh- I mean that's not top of the list of things that should get fixed tomorrow. Like what sitting and watching the world burn as we are in the moment, mm. there is probably stuff that should be fixed first and you know i'm not i'm not so self-involved not to you know not to acknowledge that but anyway that's that's my utopian vision that that one day everyone can just kind of you know do their own thing and not worry about rent and food and shoes yes um i i agree i agree and i think it's always annoying and incredibly frustrating when you know that it's possible Mm. there's there's, it's everything's possible um I just think uh, bringing it back down to the sort of where we're at though, it's like, I just hope that places like the ranch, which are, um, you know, which is out there in the, in the, in the countryside in Southampton and is a excellent retreat for, for creatives to come and to make their art and to have a, a great time while they're doing it. I, I just never want to see places like that go away, disappear. I don't want, you know, if, if I was in charge of, you know, if I was in charge of, um, of things, of bands and stuff like that, I would, I, would, I would tell them that like recording at home and doing all of their kind of own personal demos and stuff like that is all gravy and like being 
as au fait with technology is great, but like get out there and like go and use places like the ranch and use real drum rooms, use these kind of places. Like if it, obviously if it suits the music, because that's, there's magic in that. I don't feel that there's very much joy to be had from just like sort of living in your bedroom, living on your computer to make your music. Do you- I, I agree. And I thank you for the, for, for the thoughts on and promotion of the ranch there. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah. Give me a shout if you need any rates. Um, but there's, there's a bit of me that kind of disagree. I hope, don't get me wrong, I hope it stays standing for a long time and I hope it, you know, is a functioning business for a long time. But but some some things just work just fine as they are. Like some kind of, like, when I don't think the term bedroom producer is as much of a, like, joke as it was however long ago. Like some of the stuff mm. in people's bedrooms is astonishing. Mm. Um, like blows my mind. Uh, even if you know what at the moment one of the problems i've got is i'm doing pre-production for a record that will hopefully be done sometime after lockdown and the demos are so bloody good right i'm like oh god i can't make it better than these demos these demos are bloody amazing <laughs> like and it's all just done in one guy's bedroom yeah. and <laughs> i mean I, I think it's great because it saves people money so it saves bands money to do that produce it themselves mix it themselves whatever in the in the initial stages and that's good. That's a good thing because money's tight, so it should go on in other areas. But uh, it would be great if everyone could get the chance to try it as well. Yeah, you know, I think... Somewhere like a studio. I, I don't think for a minute, like, we're the perfect studio for everyone and I'm the perfect engineer producer for everyone. I've had a number of experiences that would definitely say that is not the case. But I do love working with people. I, I do love, like, the feeling that like you're helping someone kind of like realize their vision is is bloody really lovely mm. um, and if i didn't enjoy it i probably wouldn't be doing this anymore but i do love that kind of feeling of yeah if you get an email after a session being like that was super good i really enjoyed it really feel like we captured what we we're after and yeah it's really it's really really rewarding so Definitely. how long have you been doing it for down there in the ranch uh, the ranch has been open for eleven years now. Eleven and a, maybe even maybe coming up for twelve actually, but def, definitely eleven. We did a tenth anniversary party a few years ago, so I'm basing it on that. Um, when it first opened, it was just one small room, and now it's we've kind of built over time to to where we are now, where we have two two separate studios, mm. uh, both control and live room, uh, accommodation for artists, and uh, Lewis has his own uh, mix room as well. So it's Running out of farm to take over, basically. Basically, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Do you um do you have anything coming up that you're like especially excited about that you can tell us? Well, projects. Yeah. Uh, one one I'm super excited about is the a bank of Bear Dreams who are from Israel, which is problematic at the moment because getting them in the country is going to be a challenge. <laughs> yep. We were actually scheduled to start making this record uh, in July, but obviously that's not going to happen now. So it's going to be later in the year, all things being well and. I mean, essentially, if they can get to the country, that's fine because they can isolate the studio. They mm-hmm. they would be isolating in the studio anyway. So, um, but yeah, their their record's fantastic. In fact, um, I was listening to the demos of it yesterday, and uh, we, me, and the the kind of main songwriter, a guy called Itai, uh, even got to the point where we're like we're sequencing the songs to to listen to it as an album, even even in demo form. We're trying to get an idea of see see what happens when we do that. And, I sat and listened to it twice yesterday afternoon, and it's, it's really, really good. It's a mm. really bloody good record, um, and they're a band I've got a lot of faith in. Um, I often wonder how different their their band would be if they were in 
Europe or America rather than uh, in the Middle East. Sure. Because they're just, like I think the songwriting is brilliant. The perform- the musicianship is, is is at times astonishing. Having recorded them before, the, the drummer and the, 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 as, as, instru- as an instrumentalist, they're just next level. Wow. So yeah, it's a, I'm super passionate about that project because I'm really invested in it and I've, I have a lot of like kind of emotional investment in them as people. I think they're really great. Like I say, if they were over here or in the US, I, I would not be surprised if they were already signed or, you know, making a living from doing it. Um, there's a few other artists that I have kind of lined up. Um, I don't think I've got deposits in the bank though, so I'll uh, keep, keep that keep that in the DL for now. Um, but for stuff coming out, Tyrade are about to put out a couple of new tracks, which are ridiculously good. Love Tyrade. Love them. They're just a band I, I can't believe they haven't been snapped up yet. I cannot mm. believe it. They're mm. so good. Um, and the songs are brilliant. They, you know, cute, a bunch of cute guys, you know. Yeah. They all, they, each one has a little look. It's a bit like a little Spice Girls kind of thing. Yeah, a couple of ASOS studs. <laughs> 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 And yeah, just just couldn't ask for a more fun band to work with. So, awesome, yeah. good. Um, that's great to hear. And yeah, I, I played with them a few times, and they're lovely. And um, yeah, I hope that they do well. So, and oh, just, just one more question about them. Um, did you say Bear Dreams? Bear Dreams. Yeah. Are they, are they young guys? Like how old are they? Like early twenties. Amazing. They got all of the twenty-four. I think. Yeah. It's crazy because like, what kind of music they're going to be writing when they're in their late twenties? It's like. Yeah the mind boggles uh, the first time when they came out to record obviously i spoke to them on skype or zoom or whatever it was then and um listened to demos and i was really excited well, i'd only heard like you know like program drum demos and when day one we got set up and the drummer sat behind the kit and it was like holy shit literally the best drummer i've ever seen in my life kind of thing he's just like astonishingly good and i was like how you know like you are really good. How are you so good? Kind of thing. Like, tell, tell me how you got so good. And he's like, oh, well, in Israel, uh, I, I learned by like having sticks and hitting a box. And anytime I dropped a beat or the rhythm changed, my drum teacher would hit me with a stick. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, oh, right. That's pretty different. <laughs> that is pretty different. That's the reason they're so good. I'm not going to get that kind of abuse in England. Like, basically corporal punishment to get good. But I mean, hey, it worked. So <laughs> Good for them. I mean, well, not good for him. That doesn't sound great. I mean, if I got hit in the head with a stick every time I played a wrong note on a guitar, I'd just... Oh, no, I'd be brain dead by now. Yeah, I'd be... Yeah, I would have, I would have smashed uh, the guitar. Pieces, <laughs> so, uh, I mean... Yeah, him. I mean, that, that's one of the beautiful things about working in studio is every session you're with different people with different experiences and, and uh, you know, hearing about how a bunch of, pe- bunch of guys grow up in, in Israel mm. is pretty different. It's pretty different over here, and 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 specifically talking about them. I mean, I've worked with bands from all over Europe and and America, but you kind of have a preconception about Israel because we've heard so much about it over the years and kind of the the, the awful situation in Palestine and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of have this expectation that they were going to have a certain opinion about stuff. But mm. if you actually talk to them, it's like you realise. You wouldn't want to be judged as a young, you know, twenty-something living in England by the Tories. Mm, sure. What on earth would would we expect a twenty-something living in Israel would want to be judged by the the decisions their state makes? Sure. So yeah. it, it was like that was a real like illuminating kind of experience and kind of uh, really getting a, a sort of handle on how a completely different culture 
lives and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a really, about, really amazing experience to have that. And yeah, long may the studio continue so I can keep having great experiences like that, basically. It's fantastic. 100%, man. Long may it continue. Well, thank you so much for all your time thank today. You. Great to speak to you. Yeah, man. Lovely to have a chat. Sorry, I tend to just go off on a, on the heavy shit a bit too much, but... Hell no. No, we, it's, we like it. I like it a lot on this show. I hope there's more of it. And uh, I'd love to have you back on because I'm going to like do like right. re- things in review. Um, so yeah, match up. Exactly. And catch up and all that stuff. All your, all your contactable details are going to be in the description box below, folks. Oh, so uh, nice. hit up Neil, please get in touch. Um, great guy, great studio, great bunch of um, people working there. So um, great. Thank you very much, man. Thanks, dude. Have a good one. Hope- You've been listening to Coffee or Beer on Hold Tight TV, brought to you on behalf of Hold Tight. If you are in a band or you know people in bands and they need PR, they need radio, they need digital marketing, then Hold Tight is your number one stop shop for that. So please subscribe to the channel, follow us on all the socials, and please get in touch if you need any of those services. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Coffee or Beer.